So I wanted to uh, talk about the uh, topic of uh, perception tonight. Um, I happened to be reading a sutta passage where the Buddha was talking about it that came from my mind, and then I also happened to uh, have a few um, incidences that happened this week that were kind of a misperception about how different people perceive things in different ways, so it came up in my mind. I thought it's, it's an important a Dharma topic, so that's, I wanted to talk about sort of the, the traditional teaching on it, but most important, uh, why it's important as, as we apply it into our lives and our practice. So uh, before we get into the, to the application of it, uh, just sort of to get the idea across, this is something some of you have seen, so, uh, but some of you haven't seen me do this, so I'm going to hold this up and just ask, um, those of you who haven't seen this, what, what you see? What do you want to see? See a bell? See a bowl. Bowl. That's what we typically answer, right? Then some people kind of get the idea that it's kind of a trick question. And, and they say, no, no, I, don't see, I see metal. That's what we would all answer. A bell or a bowl. Actually, you don't see a bell or a bowl. What you see are different shapes, shadows, lights, darks, colors come in through the eyes. And then in the mind, create a bell or bowl, whatever you take it to be. You're not actually seeing a bell or a bowl. We're quite literally creating that in our own minds. So I want to be really clear. I'm not trying to, I don't want to get off into some kind of uh, ontology of like what's actually real out and what can we know because everything's mediated to the senses or anything like that. But I just wanted to sort of make the point uh, that this is going on every moment as part of just being a human being. We and so built in as part of just who we are as beings and what's happening all the time that we just don't even notice that that's happening, right? You look out and you just, you may not put the words to it, but you know that you're, there's a room, there's chairs, there's people, there's windows and all that. And that's all happening in the mind. You can't think about this too much or you'll kind of go, not literally go crazy, you'll kind of drive you crazy, right? Because it's just happening. It's happening so quick and it's so automatic. And in in fact, um, in the Buddhist model of one of the ways they look at what it is to be a human being, they look at different aspects of having a body and having thoughts and consciousness and all these different aspects. This this idea of perception is part of one of those categories in the way they sort of deconstruct what it is to be a human being. It's literally just... We're not doing anything wrong. As a matter of fact, we need this or we couldn't function in the world. But you need to know that we're going to get up and you're going to walk out the door and you're going to either walk or ride a bicycle or take mass transit or drive a car home. Or you, have to un- you have to have all these, this conventional reality. So it's not that anything's going wrong, but as I want to talk about tonight, we can get tripped up when, when we get identified or um, take our perceptions uh, to be reality. So that's what I wanted to uh, talk about a little bit. Um, so um, the, just a little more on the teaching. The, 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 when we use the word perception, so it does have this, um, this, this main aspect where we 
uh, assemble raw data into some kind of meaning. But there's another piece to it, which is the memory piece. Um, so if, I, if you've never seen a bell like this before, and you say, wow, it's an interesting looking bowl. And I say, oh, no, no, it's a bell. Check it out. And you say, wow, that's really beautiful. I've never heard it. Oh, now, if you see one of these again, you get this kind of visual pattern come in. You'll know, ah, bell. So it is a, there's a memory. We remember things and so we can use it again the next time. And so next time you do this, you know what that is because you've heard it before. There was the, uh, the movie that came out, I don't know how many, two decades back. Some of you may have seen that old movie, Gods Must Be Crazy. Remember that movie? Yeah. So it was a, and I don't know if, if these aboriginal tribes really did never seen a Coke bottle. <laughs> but in the movie, right, somebody's flying over in the outbacks of Australia, in case any of you hadn't seen it. They, they're driving a little Cessna small airplane, open the window, finishes the Coke bottle, and throws it out the window. And then one of these uh, the aborigines just finds this thing. It's a Coke bottle. Never seen it. They didn't have any idea what it was. And they thought it was... Anyway, they were just trying to figure it out. And, and There's a whole movie built, built upon it. There's a couple of basic uh, uh, ways I want to talk about where I think we can tend to get into trouble around uh, getting identified with or not noticing perception happening or misperceiving. Again, I want to emphasize uh, perception itself is nothing, there's nothing wrong about it. It's, it's part of nature. Right? Us as human beings being part of nature is just what, the way that we work. But I've noticed sometimes where um, Well, we can take, one of the ways we can get into trouble is we take the raw data or the raw input and we put a meaning onto it and we don't realize that we put the meaning onto it. And then we just think that's how it is. One example I can think of, I can think of many, but uh, one is um, in doing some work in the, in the prisons, um, I've heard stories uh, a number of times of, of guys who got thrown into solitary confinement, they call it thrown in the hole. And they got put in there maybe for a month or something for starting a fight. And we could ask them, well, what happened? They'd say, well, this other guy, he walked past. He disrespected me. i say, well, what happened? He goes, well, I could just tell. He looked over at me. And, and it could be, I don't know what was going on in the person who looked over in their mind. Right? It could be they really did have some bad intent or bad vibes or something like that. It could be. But I know of at least one time where I talked to the other guy who looked and he said, I was walking by, I glanced over at some guy there, next thing I know he's standing up beating on me. He didn't think anything, so maybe happened to have a particular look on his face, didn't realize it, or the other person thought he had a look on there. But in the person who thought he was being disrespected, the way you put it, that was a reality. He took just some input, the raw data, and in his mind, he, in other words, it's like he, he, made, he, he didn't realize the step that had happened. He just saw Bell. He didn't realize, oh, color shapes coming in there. Right? 
Now, in that, usually when uh, the act of perception isn't necessarily causing us a problem, right? If you just get up and leave and walk down the stairs and know that you know where to go and you see the world and it can function, it's not a problem. But it can get us into trouble. Um, when um, my wife and I were deciding how to name our son, uh, we knew the first name, but we, we weren't sure there were different ideas about what we do with the last name. Was it take my last name, a hybrid, her last name? We were just kind of going around and around about it. And what I had decided was, um, actually the, the process I went through was just part of my cultural conditioning. I had thought, well, I should have my last name. And then and my wife wanted actually to take her last name, which felt a little like, well, gee, you know, it's not what's normal. People do it, I'm sure, but it's not the norm in our society. And then my daughter finally said to me, I was telling her about it, she said, well, Dad, because I have a grown, I have a, a, a very young one, but I have a grown daughter, and my grown daughter said, well, why should it, why should it automatically go to your last name? And somehow her saying it that way just kind of flipped my mind around. I thought, well, you're right, why should it? So I just decided I was going to let it go, and I, and I said to my wife many, many times, it's your call. Whatever you say is fine with it, and you just decide what you want to do. And I had said that a number of times to her, and I really did honestly feel that way. So then after the baby was born, we were born in the hospital, and we were going to leave, and we were there for a few days. When it was time to leave, uh, we were feeling some pressure because they'll do the birth certificate for you, or you, ha if you, you don't have to actually come up with something. You know this. You don't have to have the name when you leave, but then it's a more of a headache and a hassle. You have to go down and do this and do that. And we just didn't want to have to do that to do the birth certificate. So we were feeling a little pressure to come up with the name. So we're there, and it's like two hours before we're leaving, and we've got to make some decision. So uh, my wife says, what should we do? And I said, well, I've told you how I feel. And, 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 and she said, well, what do you think? She asked me, what do you think we should do? So I said, well, okay. And so I told her, I said, well, I'd like to use my last name. That's what I think. She asked me, and I told her. So later, it wasn't that big of a deal. We talked about it and worked it out. But she felt like I had pressured her. Into, she, didn't really, she actually didn't want to use her last name. And, you know, I told her, you can still go and change it if you want. It's fine with me. But uh, I had had one perception. And I'm not saying my perception's right. You know, you're, if she was sitting here and had just told you that story, maybe she would have said it differently. But anyway... Uh, Whatever happened, I don't know what the objective video camera would have shown, but my experience was exactly how I sh shared it with you. And I didn't have any experience of pressuring her, And but, yeah, I would tell you what I thought, and it's totally fine with me, whatever you choose. Her experience was not only feeling pressured, but that I was pressuring her. And I'm not saying she's wrong about it, but I'm saying the exact same thing happened. And she had a whole different experience, and I had no idea. I'm thinking, oh, everything's great going along, and she'd been kind of harboring this that I had pressured her. So fortunately, it came out, we talked about it, and it was fine. It wasn't like a big problem, but that was an interesting example. We didn't end up, you know, thrown in solitary confinement for a month, like it was. <laughs> but, you know, it was a little bit of something, it was just a different perception. Um, did any of you ever see the movie Rashomon? Some of you have. If you hadn't, I would, it's, I would recommend it. It's a Japanese movie with uh, subtitles. 
uh, old movie. You could definitely get it. You know, if you have Netflix, you could rent it, or you could go down to I don't know if Blockbuster would have it, but a place like uh, you know, Real. Who? Real Com. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So you, you can definitely rent it. It wouldn't be on DVD, but on um, uh, video tape. But it's basically a story that something happens, and it tells the story. Three people are involved, and it retells the story from the perspective of each of the three people. And it's a completely different story each time. And all three of them were there. And they're really saying, this is how I recount the story. So this is one uh, whole piece that I don't know what to do about a lot of this because since it's happening so quickly, you, you can't... I don't know, you can start to be more aware that the process is happening, but you know what, we're going to get caught a lot of times because you can't even know the times when you've misperceived, right? So, you know, whatever, my wife comes in, she says whatever, I, I hear it, I see it, okay, I've got it, now did I misperceive it or not? I, you know, I don't know, it just happened like that. One of the things that uh, we start to notice and as our, as our uh, mindfulness practice strengthens is the more we can start to be aware moment by moment and the less we're on automatic pilot moment by moment, at least we can start to be aware of these things more. And for example, um, in my wife's case, um, you know, she at some point, she could have said it whenever, maybe if she would have caught it right in the moment and said, well, you know, you're feeling pressured or something. When you're aware of what's happening in the moment, then you can at least have a chance to not be so lost or really caught in it. Take it for reality. So um, there's another way in which it's a whole other level. They're all tied together, but there's another angle on this this whole way we, get, we, we actually suffer around perception. And that's when um, it's not just perceiving the so-called external reality, but it's also perceptions and oftentimes misperceptions about who and what we are as beings also. And this is a real, um, I think, sticky place for all of us. If you ask most of us any of us here in the room, or certainly the average person on the street, uh, you know, well, who are you? They would probably think it's a pretty odd question. And, um, well, I'm, I'm me, what do you mean? You know, and then you say, well, you know, but look a little closer, it's well, I'm, you know, are you, are you your body? Well, you know, I have a body, am I my body? You know, that's an interesting question. We have a whole discussion about it. We certainly have bodies. And, uh, are you your thoughts? Well, you know, you, and we start to look at all the aspects of ourselves. When it's not looked at closely, we're not paying attention, so we just tend to just go about our day, go about our business with a sort of a, uh, again, this being on automatic pilot, as we call it sometimes, it's just sort of a vague sense of, well, I'm me, and we're not really paying attention that much. And so we tend to be identified with a lot of things that go on. So, for example, um, I'll give you, there's so many ways that this can create suffering for ourselves. I'll give you an example. Some of you are aware that I'm, I'm writing a book, uh, a dollar book on the topic of samadhi, which is concentration and meditation 
practice. I've, 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 I've written a book before, and I've got a book contract with a major publisher. And so like, you think, well, that's great and everything, but actually, it's actually a um, suffering generator. <laughs> and I'm kind of just... I'm really loving plowing deeply into the particular way I'm approaching the subject and, and going through some of the old texts and things and interviewing teachers. So that part's great, but the actual feeling the pressure of it and everything. And so when I was noticing, uh, hope, hopefully this whole thing will be done in another few months, but, uh, you know, so even the way I said that, hopefully this, this terrible, you know, thing that I brought upon myself, what was I thinking? But um, uh, what I noticed is, this is about perception too. There are times when it's really, like I think the book's coming out fine, but some of the time I think that. When it's flowing well and a certain part I'm working on, I really read it, I think it's sounding good, I like what's in I feel like it's good, then I think, you know, I can write a book. I can do it. At least this kind of book. I can't write like a fictional novel, but yeah, I can do it. And it's going to be okay. And then the times when I'm completely, you know, the words are just coming out so stiff and awkward and clumsy and I'm trying to craft it and it's not happening can't even get the concept right, and I read back of what I've done, and it's just awful, and, and, and then it feels like the perception is, I can't write a book. I can't do this. What am I doing? I can't do it. And that's how it colors my, the way I view it in the moment. Well, which one's true? Maybe neither one's true, but that's how it feels. It's just a perception in the moment I've created, right? And each one of them, when I'm not paying attention, I don't notice. It's just how I'm feeling. It's just how it is. Wow, I feel good. Now I feel bad. You know, it's like so. Uh, it, it, so we need to start being more aware of all these levels. Um, it even gets into uh, what, another thing that had brought this up in my mind is someone who had been at this Wednesday night group um, just recently had asked to have a talk, which we'll do one of these days on the. The, 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 the subject of uh, the famous, infamous topic of no self, which some of you have heard many, many talks on or read on or maybe contemplated and maybe even had some own experiences in your own practice around realizations around it. For some of you, it might be a new idea. Um, but this idea of perception uh, is also tied in with that. So I don't want to get off into that too much. I'll say that for another talk. But just to say that. Um, the Buddha's not saying that we somehow don't exist in, in, in a conventional sense. I, I, don't, I don't think the Buddha, at least of early Buddhism, later on there was other kind of uh, philosophical schools. There was the Yogacara school, which died out. But, you know, they called the mind-only school, the Chittamatra school, which said, no, no, there's no reality out there. This is all just created by mind. Right? And there's all these kind of philosophical schools that came in there. But in the early days of the Buddha, uh, at least coming out of the Pali tradition, I'm speaking of, he didn't speak like that. You know, he's saying, oh, well, there is an experience happening here. We are creating a sense of, of self out of it, and we don't notice it because of this whole pesky perception piece. And so what happens is we get caught and identified with things as self in a way that either causes suffering or is sowing the seeds of potential future suffering. 
So if there's aspects of us that we like, we're identified with it, and maybe it, it creates some happy feelings in us, right? Wow, I'm a good person, say. Right? So I'll give you another one more, one last example. So having this new, some of you don't know this, but I've had a, recently had a, my wife, we just had a new baby. He's a month old now. And what I'm noticing is that I'm, most of the time I'm just filled with love and and I'm always like good on the outside of the babies, unfortunately. But there's been a few times, not too many, but a few times when it's the middle of the night, I'm really tired. It's like when I did this the last time, I was a lot younger. And it's just harder. And I'm really tired. And so he wakes up, you know, and I'm trying to help. And so, you know, breastfeeds, you change him, and it's like, okay, now it's time for you to go back to sleep. Of course, He's not asking my opinion about it, right? He just goes on and does his own thing. So I've been with him, trying to let my wife sleep. I'm out there trying to rock him. I'm trying to this, I'm trying to that. And his eyes are just like this. He's just wide awake. And he's supposed to be going to sleep. It's actually not a problem, uh, right? It's only a problem because I think he's supposed to be doing something else. That's, of course, what creates the suffering. It's just what's happening in the moment. But there's been a few times but inside, I thought I was going to pop. I just wanted to go back to sleep inside. I mean, just being honest about it, I was just like, just go to sleep. <laughs> I told my wife about that uh, later, and she said to me, well, I see all those long, long retreats you've done. Uh, <laughs> and I said, well, he, he's just pushed me into new territory. I haven't, I haven't been able to clear the defilements out. Of this is like past my edge. Here. He's pushing me. <laughs> when that happens, fortunately, hopefully my energy of field around him is okay. But you know, it hasn't like spilled out on him. Okay, he's just being a baby. He's not doing anything. But that's my experience inside. And then I was telling my wife, I said, man, I just feel bad about myself. In those moments, I just... You know, it makes me feel bad. I look at her. Um, she's, uh, she looks like she hasn't, doesn't matter what. She hasn't slept for days. He's crying. She's just love, love, love. <laughs> and I say, do you ever feel impatient? She just says, I think she's got the oxytocin hormone flowing because of the breastfeeding is my theory because it's just like, it's so impressive uh, to see her. She goes, well, a few times, I've, but not towards him. It's like he's just a baby. And I'm just like, man. So when that happens, <laughs> in those moments, I was identified as, in a way that, this is kind of a little, not a huge example, I didn't feel good about myself, you know. I said, oh, I'm a good person. Oh, I'm maybe not a good father or whatever in that moment. All of these ways we get identified when really what's happening is, all these different moods and emotions and thoughts and feelings about the body sensation are just coming and going on their own. There are causes and conditions that are giving rise to them. And when I see places that are edges, I have an intention to want to work them. So I'm not saying I shouldn't uh, try to cultivate and strengthen the more wholesome aspects, those that create less suffering. And I shouldn't try to work on the places where I'm creating more suffering for myself and Hopefully not for a child, but not yet. I'm not saying we don't take them seriously and work on them, but if I'm identified with these things that are just coming and going, arising and passing away on their own, 
I misperceive and take them to be who I am in a fixed sense, and I don't see that it's all changing all the time. You know, and, and when it's 3 a.m. and I'm just like, I'm not going to make it, I'm not going to make it, it's so real. I mean, it is real. Well, where is that now? It's gone. I don't feel that at all right now. When I think back about it, I actually feel a little humorous about it. In the time, it wasn't humorous at all, right? It was just like, I'm not going to make it. You know, how long before they start sleeping through the night? Okay, is it a month long? Is it three months? Is it five months? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, serious. So all of this is around, we, 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 we get caught up and we lose our perception gets out of focus. We're not seeing what's actually happening. That just feelings and thoughts and emotions come and go. And so we can start to notice this for ourselves in any aspects of our lives. Um, certainly uh, good chances in, in formal meditation practice for those of you, well, so you're all doing it here at least when you come or if you do it in your home. Right? We can start to notice that if you're having a good sit or a bad sit, whatever, that, that's just our perception also. We just put, we, oh, we put our overlay on top of whatever's happening. Right? And we, it's good or bad, unpleasant. Right? And oftentimes we don't notice it because it's happening so quickly. Right? It's just, you know, all those people out there, I'm trying to meditate. Remember it was two or three weeks ago, it was super noisy downstairs. Why won't they, don't they know there's meditators in here? We don't realize, you know, it comes and goes. So if we can start paying attention on these levels, I think it's just a way that to start to maybe get a little wedge in there, get a little space around it. So the last piece I want to say, and then we can open up for some discussion, is one way to use this in our meditation practice is, um, and you can experiment with this, um, is around what's called the mental labeling of the mental noting technique that we talk about here. Some of you have heard this. And I'll just say what it is because uh, it's only one, it's, many people don't use this technique so depending on which teachers you've worked with. But depending, some do. What it is is so, for example, if you're working with the breath, say, and you're feeling the breath at the nose or the belly rise and fall in and out, you can actually make a soft mental note saying the words while you're putting the attention on the breathing itself, the sensations of the breath, you can also be saying the words in, out, right? In, out of each breath. Or at the belly, you could be saying the words rise and fall, for example. And it has, and as other sensations come also, uh, you, could, you could work with mental labeling and mental noting. So if I'm sitting here trying to be with the breath and then I have knee pain, I could... If, if I'm shifting my awareness to that now, uh, or, or if it's not shifting awareness, if I'm staying in open awareness and it's just arising, how, how you, you practice, I could say uh, aching, aching, pain, pain, whatever, itching, itching, you know, the breeze coming in, coolness, coolness, whatever. We can start to label everything. Anger, anger, uh, happiness, happiness. So it has two functions. In the beginning of our practice, when our concentration is not strong, it, 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 it serves, it's another aid to the mind to help just get us here and be present. So you can experiment for yourself. Some people find using the mental labeling clumsy and awkward and it actually gets in the way and then just definitely just drop it. But if it's not clumsy, if it's helpful, 
you can experiment with it and it can help you just, it's just another thing for the mind to do in addition to just bringing the attention to the pure experience to actually, to have the mind labeling it can help. Later on, as the concentration strengthens, you don't need that help to be present so much anymore. And so oftentimes for people, that labeling can fall away naturally, and that's fine too. But then, uh, an interesting way to continue to use the labeling is um, when the concentration does get strong, we stay connected, but sometimes we can get uh, so connected and so concentrated, we kind of get caught up, we just get absorbed as the word. We get really kind of caught up in what's going on in a different kind of way. We're not spaced out. It's a whole topic, so I, I don't want to get into it too much. I'd be happy to talk with you offline, or sometimes maybe we'll do another talk on how that can happen. But just as you get in your practice, it can happen that you lose the awareness because the concentration part gets so strong and you just kind of get pulled into these meditative states. And so then what, by using the labeling can happen, it keeps the perception part going of, of, of the knowing part of what's happening at that time. So we, so we balance, the mindfulness stays balanced with the concentration piece. So when it's really all happening strongly like that, then I can notice in, out, in, out, or aching, aching, or whatever. And it, and it's, it's, it's keeps the, perce- the perception piece is what it's working on. I should just also mention that once the mindfulness gets strengthened in relationship to the concentration they built up together, then you can get to a place again where the labeling drops away because the mindfulness has been built up to stay up with the concentration. Uh, that's a different kind of thing. And then you don't have a danger of getting lost up. So I'm just adding that to be completely So those, that's just a way that you can work in your practice um, or just even in daily life just to, to work with the perception piece. So really I think I'll stop. There's actually a lot more that could be said around perception. Uh, there's uh, many more things we could say, but maybe we'll just uh, stop here and see if anybody has any comments or uh, questions. Yeah. Um, the, the, uh, I, I, there's so many names for the three this and the seven that. Right, right. The, the green cake and the green. Yes. Some kind of whatever word, ignorance or delusion happening. That's, that's 
Right. That's any time that, that, that we would say that that's going on. Right? Mm -hmm. Now, um, so that's we could say a lot more about that, but all of this we're talking about is some kind of, of not seen clearly and caught up in some kind of some kind of illusion. We've been enchanted with something and just somehow we're not clear. Getting back to the three character types, though, it's an interesting place around um, how perception works. It's a great example. I'm glad you brought it up because actually, so you know there's many models of different character and personality types out there. So there's like Enneagram, maybe, you know, are you a four or six or a one or what all that stuff. I don't know them all, but you know that's a whole model that has a lot of value for people. There are other character types that have to do with childhood development of um, a burdened, are you um, containing, or you know, there's this whole psychology out there. There's different maps that you can use right, just to help understand yourself. So in the Buddhist world, there's a particular map, and we don't want to take it as sort of the, the highest absolute reality, but it's just another way of working. So we only want to use it if it's useful for us as, as a tool. And, and that is uh, that people tend to be, we're all considered to be some combination of all of them, but it's said that everyone has one that they tend to be, a few people might be balanced, but most people tend to be predominantly what they would call a greed, the, the words aren't, aren't pretty, but I'll tell you what, there's a greed type, an aversion or a hatred type, or a delusion type. I happen to be a, a delusion type. So um, what the way you tell about it is, and so you can think about this for yourself, that what they say is uh, a a, a, an aversion or a hatred type walks into a room or a party or a group or any situation, and they'll tend to notice all the things they don't like. What's wrong? That's just what pops out. They're not doing it. They don't even notice it. It's just the way they're perceiving it. Like, you know, the room's kind of, you know, like they walk into here and they say, you walk in here and go, hey, that ladder's up there, and boy, there's no carpet on the floor, and it's a little echoey, and that's, it may not even be conscious, but that's just to give you an example to get a, 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 your tendency of your mind. A greed type would walk into the room and say, wow, this is kind of nice, you kind of have a view out the window, you have a little more you didn't have, and it's a little open and airy, at least it was when the sun was coming in, little leaks, and they'd notice all the things that they really like about it. Um, and then the delusion type, they just clueless, you know, they just like walk into the wall and, oh, there's not a door there, you know, you just don't notice anything. So, for an example, when I went for, uh, I went to Moab with my daughter in the spring and we did some hikes in Arches National Park and a few places, and if you've been to Moab, it's just a great place. And literally, um, it, we couldn't go 20 feet because my daughter would just say, she's an artist, and she'd say, Wow, look at that stick. And they go, what? She goes, no, see how it's twisted and the color's got it? No, it's a stick there. She's taken like five pictures of it. Then we walk another twenty. And it, it, it's a part of it. It's beautiful. It's, I'm not, it's not a bad thing, but she's a Greek guy. And she'll go, wait, Dad, stop. What? I mean, literally, you go 20 feet. And, 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 and she'd say, over there. I'm looking, what? Because that rock, it's like leaning against the cactus. And, you know, it's just like she's just doing that. So she's not saying, I'm a Greek, I'm a, and matter of fact, I kind of annoyed her because I said to her, wow, I didn't realize how much of a, of a, of a Greek type you were. I wasn't trying to, 
I thought she was just real familiar with all this. It's, it, and literally, after a couple of hours, we made it about a quarter of a mile. And I had just let go of it. It didn't matter what we were trying to get. And she finally said to me, I hope it's not frustrating for you, Dad, that we didn't make up seven-mile hike that we were doing. <laughs> And she was just having a ball. It was great. We were out together. I didn't really have a... It was fun. Um, but so to her, she's not noticing I'm a greed type. She, she just... Her mind is just perceiving everything is just beautiful and wonderful and, and alive and, and the ants calling and we're in the desert and that's just how it is. And so it's not a problem, but it's just, a, it's just another way to think of perception is happening that when she's just taking the raw data and filtering. Now my wife, and she doesn't mind me saying this because she happens to be an aversion type. She's only got one of three and none of them are make us look that great. Right? So it's fine. She, you know, she, she, she's an aversion type. So she can, it's not that she can't see beauty, but she, she'd be on the hike saying, you know, we're trying to get to the end and we're not making it. Or uh, she wasn't on the hike. I'm just saying, or she'd just be going, it's like, man, it's just baking hot out here. Or, God, it's so dusty. I don't like this trail. There's too many people. Can't we go off the trail? That's just, and she wouldn't say, I'm a, she actually knows she's an aversion type, but um, she wouldn't say that. She, that's just how it comes into her sense doors as it's too dusty. When she kind of wakes up out of it, because she's done lots and lots of practice, so she knows this very well. So she says, wow, my mind's kind of really noticing, so you can make a shift. And then as a delusion type, whether there's, I'm just going along, you know. Oh, yeah, you're right, there are a lot of people. Well, it is kind of dusty now that you mentioned that. Oh yeah, I didn't notice. I guess you're right, it's hot. I wasn't feeling anything. Now I'm really noticing the heat. Or, boy, it's kind of cold. Like, I wasn't noticing the cold, but then I saw somebody else do something, and then I noticed, wow, it's kind of breezy in here. Delusion time. So it's just another, it's really another take on perception. And we just get, we just don't realize it's happening. We think, you know, uh, this really is a bad room. really the reason the Buddha encouraged us to strengthen mindfulness right. and also supporting qualities of concentration too. It's not about being concentrated at all. At some point that stuff has to just drop away. It has nothing to do with anything. But as an aid to help us see more clearly into these, if we have these tendencies in our minds, um, to be able to see them more because our minds become more clear. And then to help maybe free up those places, and then maybe let just be able to be in a more open, spacious way, and not creating problems. Right. I, I, I know this is another whole manifestation of that, but uh, there's a lot of literature around perceptions around illness and pain, and, and how the mind uh, creates realistically uh, perceptions of things that are happening in the body. Yeah. It's happening on many, many levels, all the time. Um, could you say more about 
Yeah, I could actually. This happens to be what uh, I can. You can all buy my book when, if it ever comes. <laughs> I'll take orders, pre-orders. <laughs> So, if we just take the word concentration, it, 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 well, the word samadhi, both in Pali and, 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 and Sanskrit language, generally is translated as concentration. But it's actually a range of meanings more than just concentration. But let's just say, what concentration means is, it has a, it, it's really, I would divide it into two broad categories. One is the ability of the mind to stay, to not wander, to stay really settled, and, and, and settled on a fixed object. That's a good concentration, like if I'm trying to be with the breath, if, I, if my concentration is strong, really staying in and the mind just won't wander, and get to such strong levels of concentration that the mind actually can't wander at all, and it's completely steady, so steady on up. It's called a one-pointedness. There's another, I'll come back to the mindfulness piece in a second. There's a whole other manifestation of Samadhi, which is really a concentration. This, so this is getting a little off the. It's a little more technical, uh, which is sometimes translated as unification of mind, and it's and it's a little different than what than being concentrated on a fixed object. It's really the mind. So I don't want to even get into what's the mind because when we use, I have to say, when we use the word mind, it's used in a lot of different ways. And you know what? I don't know what the mind is. So I'm I'm just being aware that I'm using. I'm being sloppy with language. So having said that, you can just bear with me. The mind, whatever the heck that is, itself settles and becomes still and tranquil and not moving. But it's not a fixed on one object. It could actually be quite open, spacious awareness that's very present. And then all kinds of experiences can come and go and come and go within that field of awareness. And that's another kind of concentration and stillness of the mind. See how they're different, right? So, so that's the first piece. So then, what can happen is, um, um, so 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 once again in Theravada Buddhism, there's, there's there's several different paths to meditation. It's a big big topic here. One is it divides meditation actually into concentration practices and insight practices, and they actually make them two different things. And they'll say to do vipassana, insight meditation, you need a little concentration, but you don't want to get too much into it because you want to just mostly do mindfulness. And then you can do these concentration practices to strengthen that quality of the mind, but you're not doing insight. And I, I realize I'm brushing over this quickly. I'm not explaining what I mean by these things, which we can do, but we just don't have time. That, that's one way you can practice. And you can do practices then that are pure concentration practices. An example is uh, there's what's called casino practice. You can put these colored discs up and people stare at the colored discs. kind of go in trances. You can use breath meditation, all these different things that we teach. You can use in all your focus. You're not worrying about the mindful knowing part. You're just getting really concentrated. And if you kept staying with the breath and not paying attention to the mindfulness piece, um, you could go into these... Well, we're getting recorded here. I, 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 really, I would call them trances. Although I'm going to get... I, I, it, it's, it's, I could get in a lot of trouble for saying that because people will take exception to that. But... Really, you've gotten, into, you've gotten absorbed, lost in these meditative states, 
and, you get, and it can be very blissful, they're very seductive, and you actually, the hindrances are suppressed, and you actually uh, get into deep states of well-being and peace and all these experiences. You feel a sense of oneness with all things. All kinds of stuff can happen as long as the concentration's there. You take away the concentration, you come out of it, and I mean, I've had experiences like that, but you know what? I get out of concentration, and all I need is my son to not go to sleep when I want, and you know, it, it didn't uproot the defilements, right? It just, it just creates these certain temporary conditions. So we get very concentrated. You can also practice mindfulness in a way where you don't have any concentration. So if someone never develops any concentration at all, but if they say, I'm going to practice mindfulness in, in every moment in my life, and I'm just going to try to be mindful moment by moment. So when I reach down to pick up my watch, I'm going to feel myself, I'm going to know I'm doing it. When I pick up the telephone, I'm going to know I'm doing it. When I'm driving, I'm going to feel my hands on the steering wheel and be prepped, right. And they'll really have a good intention. And then after two minutes, they forget. And three days later, they'll remember, I hope maybe something's bad, but I'm just trying to make a point. Three days later, you wake up and you're out of your automatic pilot and realize, oh, I forgot. Because you don't have the concentration piece, the stability. The, the, the analogy I sometimes use, I don't think it's that good of an analogy, around concentration. So that's, it's easy to understand mindfulness without concentration. The concentration without mindfulness, um, one way to think about it is, um, this is, it's not that great of an analogy, but I haven't come up with a real good one. If you ever go to, a, uh, uh, to the movies, even when you're at home, you go to the theater, and it's a really great movie, like one of the best movies you've ever seen, and you're completely engrossed in it. Probably had that happen, right? I certainly have. When the lights come on, the movie's over, you kind of come back into this normal reality. Where was I? When you were watching the movie and lost, you lose the sense of yourself. That you're even, you can lose it, you're in a movie theater. You're just in this, you're there. You're, you're completely aware you're not unconscious, but you're totally just lost, absorbed into it. In the same way, what can happen if you get really, really concentrated is you can, um, the, the, the experiences that can come, you get these states called jhana and all these states, could be bliss, and all these other uh, experiences can come, and they're just so great. And again, you're aware, but you're just, swept away in it, in a very pleasant way. It's not a bad swept away, but you're just totally just lost up in the bliss of, of it, right? And you don't have any insight, no wisdom. You're just, you're just having a super pleasant experience that's caught you up in it. So that's how they can be separate. And in fact, that's how they tend to separate out the paths of practice in one of these commentaries called the Siddhi Mahko, which you've probably heard of very important commentary, and in modern-day Theravada Buddhism, they tend to separate out practice in the two paths, I think. They actually go back to the Pali Suttas. Um, none of that was like that there. It was unified together, and the Buddha did talk about concentration without insight and wisdom and mindfulness, and he talked about insight and wisdom and mindfulness without concentration, but he also talked very specifically about a kind of concentration called right concentration of the Eightfold Path. You know, there's right view, right attention, right, and all this different, um, uh, right this and right that. Right concentration 
it's very clear in the suttas, is not just getting super duper concentrated. It's a kind of concentration that's very strongly concentrated, but also all these other qualities are there at the same time, also being strengthened. The mindfulness, and there's a whole list of other qualities actually there at the same time. So that's kind of, I know it's sort of a long answer, but that, that's the basic answer. And then the question just comes up is, how can we practice in a way, well, it doesn't matter which way we practice, we just want to be clear what we're doing. I mean, there's no right or wrong here at all. Um, but whichever way we're, we choose to practice, how do we practice in a way that's, that's, that's strengthening in the way we want? So I like to practice in a way that's more sutta style, not out of the later commentaries, it's just my style. So in a way where the mindfulness and the concentration are strengthened together. So if I want to do that, if I'm working with the breath, what am I doing differently when I'm moving with the breath or whatever practice it, than I would be if I just wanted the breath as a pure mindfulness or if I just wanted it as a pure concentration. There's actual little shifts we can make in what we're doing with our awareness that will tend to put us on one track or the other. I, you may know some of these. I can talk about some of the ways to track you in different ways about that. that this is really what the, my whole book is, is, is getting into, is, is really separating out all these different ways of the, that it's talked about and trying to clear it up. So, I know that's long yet. Okay, clear? Good enough? <laughs> I don't know, maybe that was confusing. Or... No, no, it wasn't. It was very, very clear. Uh, yeah, because I've done a lot of concentration practice, but there's still a sense of sort of muddling around. Yeah. Right, right. They seem very useful yeah, yeah. because of the power of the mind that you can feel yeah. and, and the mind becomes so malleable that it really begins to suggest where it goes. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. One of the things that I have in mind to do, I haven't really uh, talked to anyone about it, but uh, if there's enough interest in the East Bay, um, we don't have to decide right now, it doesn't have to just be this group, but, but I, I, I have an interest to do is after I'm finished, I got just this book is taking a lot of my time, but um, I'm hoping um, to see if there's a group of people who might meet on a monthly basis, maybe take a year, and eat, I haven't figured out what that might look like, but actually do a combination of um, um, going through all these different ways that it's that the classical teachings and what do the suttas say, and what's the commentaries, and how do different teachers talk about it, and, and get the map clear. And then, not once we do, and, and, and at the same time, about how we're each practicing so we can all really get more precise in what we're each doing in our practice. And I think that, that won't be for everyone, but there will be some people who will be interested in taking this topic of samadhi. So um, I'm, I hope to do that, you know, it's going to be a number of months, but I, I hope that would happen in East Bay, and that may, maybe might be of interest to you know, do something. We can all kind of learn and practice together in that way. There'd be some good discussions about different people's experiences. So, yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a, I'll just say this one other thing. That, that whole topic of concentration, and it, it, it's, it's a very confused topic because there are all these ancient texts and they don't all say the same thing, and some were later commentaries that interpreted other texts in different ways. And other people say, no, 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 that wasn't the right interpretation. Here's the interpretation. And so, and then when you hear different teachers, 
a lot of times people kind of muddle together and they just have learned it in a certain way and they don't know that there's even these different ways and they don't see how they all fit together and, and so different teachers are all saying different things and, and so it's all kind of confused out there. Okay. service that his center IMC has done, and um, I don't know exactly how he teaches there on, on concentration. He starts it out with uh, uh, having to memorize the and getting your mind ready to focus on But I've heard it was very good the five series. And it's so accessible to anyone who's interested in what concentration, what, what, what to do, and yeah. how to sit down and do it. And I think I would I'd also, so I'll just say one thing, if you're interested in audio dharma, I think if you just Google audio dharma, you'll get it <laughs> to the site, and then you can just live streaming of uh, talks, or you can download them. Right. Many, many teachers are on there, so just great stuff. Um, another thing that I just want to say, because we kind of got onto this, uh, this is, I'm glad you brought that up as a great topic, it's actually one of my favorite topics, as you can see, I can't, I am not capable of giving a one minute answer, I apologize, uh, it's just, I can't do it, I'm trying, because it's just, it's not, anyway, but, uh, but I do want to say this also, <laughs> something, something very, Something very important I should also say, for many of us, we're either not that interested in concentration, or, you know, for most people, you know, we become a weekly group, it's, let's be honest, it's hard to keep a daily practice up very much, it anybody can develop concentration, and all these different meditative states we're kind of hinting at and everything, it's, it's available to anyone. But it's like anything, if, if that's something you're interested in, and, and depending on what branches of Buddhism you practice in, it may or may not be emphasizing it, what you want for yourself. So it's not like everybody has to go out and is supposed to be doing that. And the second thing is, it's really important to say, uh, I was, one of the things, I, I'm, I'm really not trying to plug the book, but I just wanted to say, I wanted to, so half the book is my own writings going through all the texts and sort of teasing apart kind of what I'm talking about here, what they're really saying and how they're different, what the controversies are, and, and laying it all out. The second half of the book is I've gone through all these, uh, a number of well-known Dharma teachers and interviewed them on the topic to see what they have. So I've got Joseph Goldstein, Sharon Salzburg, Bhante Gunaratna, uh, anyway, I've got about nine, but really all of them, um, really great teachers on, on this book. So it's going to be very, it's very interesting to hear what they all say. And the reason I say that, uh, that I've got these different teachers is there's a wide range of what they're saying around concentration, all the way from one extreme, like, just forget it unless you're going for, like, these just 
I mean, I've never touched some of these places of concentration this guy's talking about. All the way to the other end, where it was Sharon Salzberg, one of the most uh, you know, well-known teachers, is just saying, well, she's not emphasizing concentration at all. She thinks it's only interest, only if, you know, if you're kind of interested in these meditative states, I guess she won't, give, she won't blame you if you want to go do it, but just don't bother with concentration at all. And I said, wow, why, why do you uh, teach that way? It's kind of interesting. She goes, and she said, well, you know, most people aren't getting much concentration. You can go off and do retreats, but let's just be honest in a daily life. You know, you know, some of us may, some may not. It's no, no right or wrong or better than or worse than. But just the truth is, most people aren't very concentrated. And so then they get this whole thing. Wait a minute, I'm supposed to be this concentration. They create a whole suffering. And it's not necessary. All that's needed is, is just to be present moment by moment with what's happening in your, in your experience the best you can and try to have the heart and mind open and spacious and free the best you can and not create this whole thing of this concentration because it's not about getting concentrated at all. So I just want to mention, because we went off of this concentration thing, that there's a lot, that it's not like, because I remember very clearly coming to, I've said this here at this group before, when I first started meditating, I was coming to groups like this and I'd sit there and I didn't have that much experience and I'm sitting there and just trying to get in three breaths before I'm lost for 15 minutes and try just to make it for the 45 minutes. And I remember once looking around and everybody was sitting like this and I had the, the, the thoughts, words that went in my head. I remember it so clearly. Look at them all. Everybody's blissed out but me. <laughs> <laughs> and what I didn't realize was everybody's mind is like my mind. <laughs> so, you know, we, we don't want to create a lot of suffering. So, uh, Oh yes, on the back table. Yeah, it just fits in so perfectly. Mm -hmm. uh, it's really just uh, um, the practice is to see what is, yeah. which is basically as if to say, let go of your beliefs, you got to see what is. And right. That through concentration. And by the way, even for those of us interested in concentration, so, so we've got the copies back there. I, I thought it was a great uh, quote. I appreciate you putting it out. Um, I would say, uh, even for those of you, like I happen to be really big on the samadhi side, I think it's important, so I, you know, I, I, for those who are interested and have the time and the information, but I also want to say the Buddha was totally clear many, many times, uh, said, talked about how people get caught up in concentration, they think that's what it's about, they think if you don't have concentration, he just said over and over, it ain't, he didn't say ain't, but it ain't about concentration, it's about just living in a way that's, that's, and enlightening in the way. He just said that really clearly over and over. So we don't want to, we, what I would say is concentration should be cultivated, but we shouldn't make it an object of clinging. Yeah, let's don't make it, let's not create suffering along the path to end suffering. That's what I would say. All right. Well, I really, okay. Um, <laughs> So, you know, we're supposed to actually be out of here in five minutes. So what I would say is, let's just, um, please, I just invite you to um, just take a moment. Um, you know, if you're not already, just to check in with your body and your mind, your state of your heart, whatever, and just kind of see what's there. Whether it's pleasant or unpleasant, 
just note, just as best you can, noticing just what your experience is, noticing how you're holding or being with the experience. If there can be that sense of kind of spaciousness and allowing a relaxed presence with whatever's going on. And then we'll just end with a, we don't even have time really to do a loving kindness, so let's just do a short uh, dedication of merit to end. And so, um, just to take a moment to reflect on your own wholesome intention that got you here. And whether you're aware of it or not, you know, we've all used our time wisely this evening. And that you could have done anything that you came here this evening and to practice the meditation and reflect on perception and dharma teachings and have some discussion. And the Buddha taught that every time we incline our minds, even a moment spent inclining our minds towards cultivating these wholesome qualities, it, it's a great benefit to ourselves. But also we should be aware that it's a great benefit to all beings. And that as we uh, come to greater awakening in, in our own, in ourselves, it, it affects all of those we interact with. So we offer up... Um, if there's been any goodness or merit, any wholesome qualities that's come about from our time together this evening, let us offer it up for the benefit and liberation of all beings. May all beings everywhere be happy and peaceful. And may all beings everywhere come to a complete end of suffering.